you know, and it was, I was starting to be more comfortable within this community of jail where now I could form a smaller community of like-minded people, which ended me in, you know, that, that AA meeting, which I eventually actually met my sponsor for years and years. She was my sponsor in that meeting. That's one of those little, like, sort of, again, like how the guy came up and handed me the paper. I used to talk about that at AA meetings all the time, like little God moments where there was no plan in my head and I was sort of led in a direction. Welcome to the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. My name is Steve Wopolinik. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and one of the founders of the Promethean Project. Our guests are people who have broke the chains of their limitations and found the strength of their potential. We offer their stories as inspiration and as guidance to help others navigate their quest to find their flame. Welcome listeners. Thank you for coming back for episode 43 of the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. As always, I'm your host, Steve Opolinick, and the episode today features our guest, James Garns. James and I have known each other for several years. We met at PAX Sun through our mutual friend, Ian Field. Recently, we have been talking periodically and and establishing more communication together and I felt like you'd be a fantastic guest to have on the podcast. Uh, What you're about to hear is the third time we've recorded a podcast together. The other two do not exist. The first time we were having technical difficulties. The second time we actually recorded a whole podcast but it did not record correctly. So this is our third go at it and I'm actually really excited about it. It's a really good episode full of gems of knowledge from James and our mutual conversations and outlooks on life. I'm really excited for you guys to take a listen. And I think it's the best episode that we have recorded out of all three of the episodes because without having to worry about the feedback or the recording, we were able to be fully present in uh, our conversation. And I think you guys will glean a lot from James's story, but also his outlook on life, how he's gotten there, and how. Things that we usually feel are overly daunting or end of the world type of things can really forge us uh, in the flame of adversity. So without further ado, here's James. In a world where humanity's potential is imprisoned and locked away, our only hope is to break the chains and find our flame. Well, welcome back to the podcast, James. Uh, this is our third go round. You listeners haven't heard one or two because there were flaws in the audio. So we've been trying to get this podcast in the book for the last like month and a half. So yeah, we're journey. finally here with a, with a good connection and hopefully crystal clear audio. And uh, welcome back, man. So, so it's good to see you. Good to be back. Yeah, I'm glad to have you on uh, as always, but even more so now because we we got 
stuff moving. Um, so James, I, I know you and I met through Ian. Yeah. Back in the day yeah. and pack sun days and how glorious those were. Oh yeah. And then shortly afterwards, uh, GameStop, he was my manager at pack sun. And then he moved over to, to GameStop and poached me. Oh yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. That. He was like, he was like, come on over. Video games are more fun than clothes. <laughs> That's generally true. Yeah. Um, so, so we know each other a little bit. Um, but I'm wondering if for the listeners, you can just give us a quick rundown of who you are, what your passions are and, you know. Yeah, of course. Um, my, so my full name is James Garns. Um, I'm born and raised in Springfield, Massachusetts. Um, been here my whole life. Uh, it's been a weird year, I guess, for everybody. It's 2020. So it's <laughs> I like today looks a little different than normal, you know, but um, in my normal uh, lifestyle. I'm a, I'm a musician and a student and a communications professional. Um, sort of my path to get to where I am was a very rocky one with a lot of turbulence, a lot of ups and downs. Um, I sort of just swing back to sort of give some context, I guess. Yeah. Um, like I said, I was born and raised in Springfield. Both my parents um, were school teachers. My dad taught high school history and my mom taught middle school math um and they were both I've kind of talked about their story a little bit here and there when I you know do things like this when I get asked to speak for either I've done one podcast before um but I've done a lot of speaking engagements um they were both alcoholics um but I was raised in a very healthy environment they they got sober when I was very young and lived lives of recovery um for yeah for most of my they both relapsed at separate times but isolated incidents types things and um because of that I didn't um take part in any alcohol or drug use until I got to college when I uh ended up going to UMass Amherst Mm -hmm. and um very quickly after I got into school up there um I started drinking a whole ton and it's the hereditary nature of the disease of addiction you know i was like at an age where i thought that i could do it safely i hadn't drank for the first 19 years of my life i saw my parents uh live healthy lives of recovery i heard the dangers of drinking from them um i was one of those kids i don't know like how familiar the listeners are with programs of recovery but i was one of the like little kids that used to run around in aa rooms and go to the you know sunday school room while they were in the meeting um and three years into my college experience, you know, my drinking started ramping up more and more each year, became more of a less educational and more of a party right. environment for me. And halfway through my senior year of college at UMass, while I was home on winter break, um, I was the driver in a drunk driving crash. And one of my friends, Tony Bushy, passed away in the accident. Um, from that point on, I went through a year of pretrial probation, um, went to jail. I pled out to a three to five year prison sentence in Massachusetts State Prison uh, Department of Corrections. Um, and that's where it, it's a good starting point for me in my journey today, you know, was the accident and all that life-changing stuff that happened. Um, I don't want to say a good starting point, but that's when you know, the version of myself that I consider to be my adult current, like, you know, manifestation really like sort of 
started. And um, quickly after going to jail, I, I jumped like while in while incarcerated, I dove headfirst into all of the therapeutic resources that I had at my fingertips, um, whether it be the 12 step programs that would come in. Um, I went through uh, Correctional Recovery Academy, the CRA upstate, transferred down to Northampton Jail, which is a complete um, therapeutic community, live-in um, jail. So oh, wow. you go from one, I forget what the, um, what the uh, letters stand for, but there's the CAP program and the LSP program, which is the life skills program. I spent about a year and a half there before transferring to Springfield minimum um, recovery or minimum security and to the Western Massachusetts Correctional Alcohol Center. And from there I was paroled. So that was a three year and uh, one month journey that through my prison sentence and um, getting out, I tried to hit the ground running. Um, while I was away, I, like I said, I got involved in 12 step programs. I worked the steps with a sponsor. Um, and it's one of those things where I kind of, I get a little weary of or wary of um, talking about the details too much about the 12 step program. Cause it's actually a part of it. It's like, it's alcoholics right. anonymous. And part of the whole anonymous idea of it is that I'm not necessarily supposed to be publicly promoting it. It's a, it's a program of attraction, not promotion, but right. it is my story. And it's how I reached the point I'm at today was through the help of 12 step programs. Um, but yeah, so I got a sponsor and uh, real quick to circle back, the whole reason being um, because it's, for instance, like there could be people that hear me speaking about my recovery journey and my journey in self-care up until this point in my life. And uh, they might be like, oh, I don't really like the sound of his voice. I'm not going to check out AA. So it's like right. not a good thing for me to like push it or promote it in terms of like, I'm not, you know, a perfect person type thing. Um, but that was my journey. Um, I latched onto it. Um, I worked the steps while in jail. I ended up getting to a ninth step of men's. If you know anything about sort of how the program of Alcoholics Anonymous works, yeah. um, got out on parole, got a job, started working the step work and focusing on the three sort of, um, important aspects of my recovery, which is by mind, body, and spirit. And that's Again, right from the accident going away, that's kind of what I started to try to focus on. I knew that it was going to be an imbalance if I gave it all into like my spiritual health and like disregarded my physical health and didn't take care to continue to grow and educate myself mentally right. um, and that I'd fall into some traps in that way. So I've really tried to make it a point to have balance being like a, a very like a cornerstone of my journey moving forward um so like i said i was released from jail i uh got back into umass where um which was a whole long process i got back into umass i got into hgc to finish up my general ed requirements for just a cheaper price it was just right, a smarter yeah. way to do it for me at the time um ended up through that finishing my communications degree getting an internship last year at um, represent us, which is a national nonprofit anti-corruption organization. Um, and at every point during the journey, um, I've just tried to do my best to practice acceptance and serenity. And that's my whole sort of MO in life right now is that I want to 
get to a point of inner peace because it was the type of thing where like I love Tony like she was one of my closest friends at the time in the accident and I can remember waking up in the hospital and it was one of those really weird surreal moments that in a lot of ways has been reflected in the current social environment of what happens now like how I have no conception of a future from this point on this wasn't in the cards you know like how do I live with the shame and guilt of taking the life of a beautiful person what happens um logistically like I knew I was going to be going to jail but didn't know for how long um and how was I going to ever get to a point inside where I was all right with the things that I had done like I can remember very early on in, in my journey like or just after the prior to my journey even began after the accident and um like remembering for months like thinking like i'm i don't know when the next time i'm gonna laugh is or something you know so yeah. coming to those like barriers like once you go like like a couple months later and somebody like makes you smile you're like oh it's possible again and you just want to keep moving towards that and my whole goal is to become at peace with those things you know inside in order to hopefully be able to bring my story and my experience and the wisdom that I've learned through this very unique, horrible, tragic, terrible thing that I did prevent hopefully maybe somebody to, from doing similar things. Um, and that's what they say in sort of like in, in AA is like, um, it's like a beautiful part of the recovery process where you're sort of, it's the acceptance. It's like you start off in any sort of recovery program where the first thing is you have to know you have a problem. But it's also accepting like what that means and like and your past. And um, there's a phrase that they use that says um, you'll you'll no longer wish to shut the door on your past because more or less you'll see that it has a use. Meaning like if I can get to a point where I'm at peace inside and self-aware enough to be able to talk about these stories, tough, difficult, you know, emotions that I've gone through and that I put others through. Um, maybe somebody can relate, maybe somebody at the very least won't get behind the wheel some night. And um, worst case scenario, if you've gone through something similar, because all pain is relative, all suffering is relative, like I've, I've said it to guys in, in the program, and in other areas of my life that have like, gone through things that were like definitive rock bottom moments. And they're, you know, they'll come to me and they'll be like, you know, I came to you because I know you've went through something similar. And usually at some point within that, whether I'm saying my full story, like at an A meeting, or there was a period of time I was going to the local high schools to talk to the high school students about distracted driving around prom time, right. where I'm like, you know how I felt. Like, you don't think you can, but like, you'll know your worst moment of your life is, is the, it felt the same to you as the worst moment of my life. And it's just that, like, maybe the, the details are different. Maybe the way the implications played out for you moving forward. But you can understand that inherent suffering and that inherent, like, everybody knows what guilt and shame feels like. And it's, like I said, like, if, it, I'm, if none of my work moving forward with my story is able to be preventative, at the very least, it can be productive. Meaning, you know, you don't have to live in this role that you thought that you were destined to and just died that way. Meaning... I just thought I was going to be the bad guy that wasn't worth loving or wasn't worth giving love or wasn't any of those things. I was the, like the bad guy in every movie you've ever seen, you know, like about drugs. And like, 
I was that and I am that still too to many people in the world but I also know that I have other things inside and that up until the moment of that car accident I would have told you that I was a good person and a good friend you know but clearly my actions didn't reflect that so in moving forward trying to correct that behavior I want to be able to get back to a place where you know I did these things but it doesn't necessarily it's not a doomed sentence and it doesn't mean that I can't still bring positivity to the world despite all the negativity that I brought so today the way my life looks I I don't know if this whole rant of a soliloquy (laughs) that about my life was kind of what you're looking for but um, okay cool um today I'm uh like I said it's 2020 so it's very weird but uh I'm constantly seeking out venues and people and like you to talk to to continue the conversation to see where I can continue to provide some sort of positivity to the world while still building myself so um one of the big things um because like it's happiness too is I, I feel like part of like inner peace is finding yourself and um I was a musician I'm a musician I've been a, one my whole life um I was in a band prior to the accident when I went away to jail um there was a point in time when I was in minimum security where I could like people could bring things into you and that was the first thing I was like can you bring me a guitar like and they let me get a guitar in there yeah. um and then you know in the last few years it really started to take off and I think that's one of those things where I kind of had to like get myself to a stable ground. And then once I had been free for a little while, it was sort of like, I was lucky enough to have the privilege again to express my emotionality through music. And um, once that kind of started happening, I, I also used things I've learned along the way in terms of like grasping on to like good opportunities, like not letting, I remember when I used to like my, my prior way of thinking was that, I was in control of everything that like it was all on my shoulders. Mm -hmm. My success was going to be based on my merit alone and hard work and all those things. And then I was put in this position where um, my whole life changed through my own fault, like through my actions. But it's like the saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You know, like up until 22 years old, I wanted to be a good man. And I still want, I had the same goals in life. But I thought that I was in control of the whole show, that I could control all, that I could micromanage, and it was all a reflection of myself. So the little failures would eat at me. You know, like if I failed a class, like I'd stuff that down in. It was my, it was a character defect and I would drink it away, you know, because I didn't want to live with this discontent feeling about my position in the world. And now it's very easy to see that as long as I accept things and move forward, I'm able to see the opportunities presented to me the healthy ones and i try not to again to talk myself out of um things that i know are going to bring me happiness even if i want to be lazy or like i want to like succumb to a lot of my old ways of thinking so once i started working on music again it was like this back-to-back thing where i went into the studio with a producer of my a friend of mine who i met through recovery he's in the program of a and there's a really cool story behind that um but I went in and I recorded this song that he was putting a compilation album on. I went in and recorded guitar and some vocals to it. He released it. I told him while I was there, you know, I've got five other acoustic songs I want to work on. And I'm going back and releasing a solo acoustic EP with him. 
Um, the band that I was in prior to jail at the same time started, you know, just jamming together. And now I had this new connection that I'd made through um, my recovery life. And the whole band then came into the studio and we recorded our full, first full length EP um, through circumstance while this was all happening. My boss at my uh, asphalt work, I uh, work asphalt in the repair in the summertime now. Gotcha. And I've been doing that in the last four years as I've been going to school. He had a band. And they were looking for a drummer and he was like, Hey, you want to just get together and play? And I said yes to that too. And, you know, and six months later we were playing 30 cover songs out, you know, at these bars. And it was like interesting, you know, and like really quickly, just from diving in from not shying away from the things that make me happy and being scared, you know, not like embracing love and not fear. I was able to say yes to these opportunities that like, I can today. I I just redid my resume once I finished all my credits at HCC after getting back in after school and stuff like that, and um and sort of this new like job search now. I'm like diving into like a career like that's my next journey. That's like my next step. Um, I redid my resume, and a friend of mine was going over it with me, and she said, you know, she's like put these two jobs, but she's like you should also put that you're a professional musician. She's like you should. Yeah. She was like, you're, you released a full length EP or LP with, with a metal band that's got over a thousand streams on YouTube. You're get playing paid gigs at, with the low rollers, you know, two times a month. So that's the definition of being a professional musician. And you self-funded and released and promoted uh, a solo EP. She was like, those are so many like tangible life skills right there that like you've gained and you can hang your your hat on that at night like that you become a professional musician so that's one of those like really like little cool things that sort of happened because of again just taking opportunities not thinking that my new label like of being uh can i swear here yeah <laughs> uh a shitbag drunk driver you know like thinking like that's the role i was going to play for the rest of my life and then going to jail and like considering you know i might just be an ex-felon for the rest of the, my life and and just trying to continue despite that. Like I wanted to get back into school. So I went for it, you know, and it was a lot of work. It was a lot more work getting back into the university of Massachusetts and then into HCC the first time, not having a license and having a felony. Like it was right, yeah. much harder, but the, the payoff is also there. And because of my whole rock bottom situation, I think it's highlighted a lot of the disparity in my life between the things that I used to take for granted and the things I don't today. And that's another thing that I hope my position in the world and in, in doing things like this can prevent others from having to do. Like you should, like, I shouldn't have, like, personally, I think, like, I shouldn't have had to go to jail and have my circumstances to appreciate an education, like, or appreciate music or freedom. Like these types of things that I very, very much took for granted because I was so intrinsically self-centered and focused yeah you know i was like everything in my world was me it was all riding on my shoulders but at the same time like i was the lead actor i was the director lead actor and the writer you know and somehow while when i thought i was all those things i ended up in state prison for three years and it took like a lot of obviously trauma a lot of processing a lot of therapy too because that's a huge thing in my journey is I've been in therapy for most of my life. And I think it's one of the reasons I've been able to sort of land on my feet 
and on somewhat stable footing after such traumatic events too. And um, yeah, but that's, that's my journey. That's where I'm at today. Let me stop you there because I have like a million and 500. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no, no. This is awesome. This is so, so one, I think I was just riveted to, well, I can't be riveted to my chair cause I'm on a yoga ball, but I was riveted to my seat. Um, because I, you know, I've heard this story before, but, but it, it's still moving to me. And I think I really wanted you to, to go through that process and, and get to the full extent of, of what you wanted to say in, in this introduction, because it is powerful in so many ways and it informs where we're going to go with the podcast further. And, you know, I think the listeners are, are glad that I got to shut up for 15 minutes while you were <laughs> speaking, because this is the longest I haven't spoken a podcast yet, but I think there's a purpose to it. Right. And yeah, I think that's one of, that's one of my character defects. I think I railroad a little bit, but that's not <laughs> okay. me. I'm going to have to well, be more self-accountable. No, I like it. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. We're, we're both going to get into our defects here. <laughs> like, no, no. That's it. Um, <laughs> but I think, so one, I want to honor you, you know, your journey and your story. And I want to thank you for sharing that. I know you referenced many times, like that, that that's part of your journey is being able to share it. But I, I do think, you know, it's a, an emotional story. And I think, you know, it, it really moves people. It's moved me the, the three times we've tried to record <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> and, um, so I really want to, you know, thank you for that. And then also just really focus on this concept of, of there's so much to unpack to that because I think it's awesome. I think there are, are these levels of, you know, you were talking before about being the director, the producer, the main star, you know, the boom mic operator, all those yeah. people in your all my movie. Yeah. And you know, that's really isolating. And I feel like that's a, that's a big concern when you talk about any addictive kind of behavioral or substance addictions is, is this isolation that happens and how even in you talking about your friend, having her come and look over your resume, that was a departure probably from where you were before oh, 100%. everything, because you would have been like, no, I got this. I'm going to kill this. I don't need anyone to take a look at it. And I think it's it's awesome to see the juxtapositions of of your story as they relate to smaller things too, and this idea of attachment. And what I really thought, besides the whole story in general and, and the process of you sharing and, and progressing and int- doing the introspection and self discovery, is this idea of attachment and how you know, we often think of attachment to these outcomes that we want. I want to be this person. I'm attached to that. And when it does, and when I'm over attached to that and it falls to shit, I don't know where to go because it's the end of the world. Right. And, and that's a, that's a real life attachment that we talk about. But I also think sometimes we have not given enough credence to the idea of attachment to the negative aspect of that too. Oh yeah, for sure. Being attached to being like you were talking about waking up and saying, okay, uh, where do we go now? Cause that attachment to what I thought my life was going to be like, that's falling apart. And then it could have been really easy for you to attach to being, what did you say? That shit bag. Yeah. Uh, drunk, drunk. Alcohol, you could have attached, driver, yeah. you could have attached to that and that was your future. And then like, okay. I'm oh yeah. And embraced it and became it sort right. of self-fulfilling prophecy type. Yeah, thing. exactly. Definitely. And I think we have to be weary of over attachments on both levels of, being too attached to an outcome that we want and not seeing 
the different avenues we can take to get there, the different routes and only having one aspect to do it, which, you know, you were talking about too. I, you had this attachment to this outcome, but you, you proved to yourself that you, you're still going towards, maybe it's not the exact same thing, but you're still finding a way to, to be able to play music and emotionally connect with that and be yeah. out and, and doing those things that you love and finishing your degree. Um, but there were different hurdles in the way than you expected. So you, you could have shut down and say, well, that's all fucked. And, yeah, definitely. And know. I think that's the kind of like, it's the whole situation is, is it teaches you that it teaches you that like sort of the only way to like, for me uh, on that, like in this journey, it's been the only way for me to figure it out because it's like, I was faced with the reality that I didn't know anything you know like it, that's what i guess that was was that um in very real terms like how i talked about like i don't know what's going to happen like i could somewhat figure based on either my parents expectations or societal expectations like my journey like i went to high school and then i go to college you know what i mean like that's what i was doing and then all of a sudden like everything there was a wrench in it and i had to detach myself from all those former expectations and societal expectations i've had to like sort of reframe my thinking in that way in terms of like don't attach myself to the ideas of others meaning it's sometimes hard to especially if somebody doesn't know my story like stand up where i'm at in life next to a peer and not feel like i'm failing next to them based on societal perception Meaning yeah, like, exactly, yeah. I just graduated, like all the people that I was in school with back in college, you know, they graduated six months after the accident. Like, so I'm 10 years behind them, but I don't conceptualize it that way because I have to be the water, you know, like, it's like, I'm the one that has to move with the, the ebb and flow of my life. Like I can't be swimming against the current like type of thing. And that's very right. much what that is. And I wanted to touch on something you said too in terms of like attachment to others and within the journey, how like all of human wisdom, like I, my, one of my favorite uh, phrases is that all of human wisdom is basically us standing on the shoulders of giants. Is that like, we are nothing alone. And you talk about isolation and that's like the, one of the key aspects of addiction and alcoholism is that like, it tends to isolate when I'm feeling a certain way, I, I cut myself off from my communities and I go into myself and I overthink and I drink, I drink at my problems, you know, because it, there's no solution at that point, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. In this sort of path, even now, like this is a great example. It's like, my story is useless without you. It's nothing. Like I don't have a podcast, you know, like um, I had to have a sponsor to walk me through the steps of AA. You know, I remember when I was the second week I was in Walpole, which is the crazy jail. Like that's, yeah, um, that's, that's a, legit yeah, it's the, um, it's the old supermax, but now it's um, classification. So all state inmates go to Walpole to start. And then you go to your next, like either you're going with the maximum security or you go to medium or if you're a really low threat or you, and you only have a year left, they'll send you right to minimum or something. Right. But you all go to Walpole to start, which is the jail from the town. If you've ever seen yeah. Ben Affleck goes to visit his father in Walpole. It's a, um, I mean, it's a legit 
place. Oh, it's you have all crazy. different kinds of people in there. And, yeah, and that's the thing is like you'll have guys in there that like because it's classification that is, you know, he killed three people like two weeks ago and was sentenced like in two days. You know, like and he's coming into the state sent and he's going to be classified to a supermax. But now you're sharing a cell with him until that classification happens, and then right. you might have a guy who's in there on his fourth OUI. So it's like this whole like splattering of different sorts of levels of um, security clearance inmates all yeah. together until they can figure out where they're supposed to go. So it's it is it's why and it's like was built in eighteen or nineteen oh eight or something. It looks like Alcatraz. It was the only prison I was in the whole time that had like the shutting bars and mm-hmm. all the cells. Um, but there was a guy that came up to me within weeks, like two or three weeks. I'd never, I saw him like around the block. Um, and he just came up to me and he was like, Hey, like you're from Western mass. And, uh, he was like, I heard you're from Western mass. I heard about your, uh, your crime. He's like, I heard about your car accident. He's like, right. And he handed me a piece of paper. He was like, write this right Northampton jail. Um, He's like, they got a dog program there. He's like, they've got a therapeutic community. Just tell them that, you know, you've got an alcohol-based crime. Um, tell them that you're interested in programming that you want to train dogs. He's like, you'll be closer to home and they got good food. And I didn't know this guy. And it was like that one of those moments where I was just like, I wrote him and I didn't hear anything back for eight more months. But then I went down after doing a little time upstate and they realized, you know, like they kind of have to observe you for a little bit, see how you react to being institutionalized yeah and once they like figured i wasn't going to cause problems they accepted me and i moved down to northampton which was much easier time to do um but that all came from just a person a human you know like another another person in the world that was going through something similar and it was like hey man like i think this will make your time easier and again that was one of those opportunities where i could be like i could attach myself to that old frame of thinking in this new universe and be like you know, I saw American History X. Like, right. yeah, they, do I trust this guy? Like, do I take this right. note as a gift? Like, do is this making a connection that like I, I'm gonna have to pay for it? Like, but I didn't. Like, I wasn't in, in a new environment, and I was letting go. I was learning to practice acceptance, and I took it. And I was like, what's the worst that could happen? It's everything was positive. All the signs pointed in the right direction. This guy walked into my path for no reason. Who am I to ignore the universe putting this on my doorstep? And why am I why am I going to attach myself to the old negative way of thinking and frame this in a way that it's bad? And right. then I just took the leap. I wrote the letter and eight months down the line, I was training a dog for the deaf and disabled in Northampton jail. You know, and it was like it's so crazy. It's, it's so wild. Crazy and that's like, and I see that, you know, like I wouldn't yeah. have been able like 12 step, like any recovery program, any 12 step program, it's a community. You know what I mean? None of these are isolated things. You don't, they don't have a, Hey, go like take this handbook home and read it in your room alone and you'll get sober type thing. It's like, that's not, I've not come across anything that doesn't like intrinsically need other people because you need that relation. You need like a reason to like, you want to feel a part of the, like the bigger picture in a way, you know, and even whether like going back to school, like the, like, I can't teach myself those things. I might think I can sometimes, you know, like but <laughs> yeah, then, we all but again, that. that's how we get the 2016 election and QAnon. You know what I mean? It's like a bunch <laughs> of people going on the internet wanting oh, to teach man, themselves. That's a, that's like, a great reference. To, to you know, like just go find an expert. Content. Just go find an expert, find somebody who has the knowledge that did it before you, that knows more than you, like, and yeah. that has some sort of proof of practice. 
Like and, if you can prove to me that you know more than me in a subject, I should be listening to you. And that if you can't, I probably maybe not shouldn't. I can hear your perspective. I can take it like and compare it to my perspective, but you know. And that's you know that's a big part of resilience building too. Is is one like the phrase, you don't know what you don't know, right? Yeah. That concept's super important, and. I think in your journey too, to be able to say, okay, I I'm used to being the one in control, but I'm going to give it up here and, and kind of take this lead of this guy who I don't know and just reached out, extended a hand. And then two, to be able to, so to know that you're not always the expert and to be able to admit that and reach out to say, okay, I need to find someone who is an expert in this so I can cultivate myself and kind of get where I want to be. That's, that's a key part of resilience building when you're trying to sit with uncomfortable feelings or sit with boredom or sit with these intense things. And I think a big thing with COVID too is to build that resilience by saying, okay, I don't need to be the person who's making all this bread or, you know, doing all the, which was like the big thing in the beginning, right? Or oh yeah. Yeah. Cultivating self to a level of writing a book or being a Zen uh, master, but I can take small snippets of this find people who who do know those things and then i can start you know building resilience by doing doing some of those things or being okay with sitting and and just being yeah and so i like that and I, the imagery i love about that story i was going to go down this road even without that story but that story really uh strengthens the imagery that that came to me was you know it 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 took you this journey going in to prison and having freedoms taken away for, for, from you to really not be isolated, which is like the imagery of that is so yeah. powerful because when you're talking to people about making changes or, or you know, embracing where you're at to make change and go through the, the rough parts of this or to reach out, we often think, oh, it has to be perfect for me to do that. It has to be the perfect setup. It has to be like the yeah. Hallmark Christmas movie where <laughs> my true. my yeah. significant other is going to ring the doorbell because they work for a corporation that I'm against and it's, fate's going to put us in there, right? But <laughs> it's going to be wonderful. To hold on to that stuff is isolating. And you were in a situation where it could have continued to be, but you found a community in a place where your freedoms were severely limited and i think that's amazing oh yeah and it's it's true it's like they say i mean it's more so about spirituality but like how there's no atheists in, in foxholes mm -hmm. and that's like quickly like i remember like walking into jail and thinking it was going to be how they portrayed on the, in the movies like i said i thought it was going to be like up oh, gotta like i might have to fight the biggest guy or you know what i mean like i don't yeah, yeah. i didn't know like i had no conception besides of like hollywood's version of, of prison um, and it wasn't that I very quickly learned it, that jails filled with a bunch of people that were either one cheated by the system through institutional racism, poverty, given a, a bad luck hand, or they're sick. Like they they're dealing with some form of mental health illness, um, addiction. Um, the vast majority of people in jail are that. And what's weird is that like most of those things kind of sort of get weeded out. Like you can't, like if you're like an on the outside, you're like an addict um, or an alcoholic. It's like you don't have like granted, like you, they say this a lot. And it's very true. It's like you, you can get just as many drugs on the inside as you can the outside. But mm. 
for at least a little bit of period, you have clear, you've got clarity, you know? So when I walked in, it was more so like, like you said, a community of people that were like, we're all simultaneously going through this similar suffering. And if you've seen like Orange and the New Black, I actually think season one's very good at portraying jail. I think it's one. Gotcha. And it's like that. It's like, you're kind of like, you really realize that you're, you're in this together. Like this guy isn't going to, he wants to serve his time and as easily as possible as he can, if, as I do, like he wants freedom. He wants to get out. He wants to see his family. Like it's awful. It's, it's hell. Like it's referred to as hell when you're on the inside of your life, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and you just create these bonds and you kind of learn, like, as you go, like I, thankfully, like I said, because of my history with my parents, um, having been introduced to recovery programs and also like therapy, just in general, generalized therapy. I went, um, for a couple of years after my parents were divorced when I was a kid, I was an obese child. That's something I usually talk about when I tell my story, but I was real fat, like really, really big, morbidly obese until ninth grade. Um, went to counseling for overeating, developed an eating disorder in high school, went to counseling and therapy for the eating disorder. Um, little ADD therapy in college. Um, after the accident, I went into therapy myself. And then the three years in therapeutic communities living in jail, year and a half mandated therapy after jail. And then I went back for voluntary therapy for the year and a half after my mother died. And it's like, that's one of those things too, is like on top of all this, like sort of like, like trusting in experts like that. I don't know my mental health, like as like, or just mental health in general. Like I know myself pretty well, but I don't know mental health. So I have to continuously like bounce this mind off of a professional like I just need to in this heart and it's funny because like a lot of people especially um not so much like like you like I think like-minded self-care um people like who are on a journey of self-awareness tend to find each other and see each other like this yeah but mo like the vast majority of people like will meet me and if you knew my like I was talking to a friend that I've known for 15 years and I brought up the accident and he was like, oh, he's like, oh, I forgot. He's like, it's really weird that most of the time I forget you went to jail. He's like, just talking to you, like in the, like the story, the intensity of your story. Or like, I just started a new job a few weeks ago and I haven't really talked about it much there, but it happens at every place I go to, whether it be job, like where it'll come up. And then at, like, at some point people will be like, how? Like, I would have never imagined. Like, how are you so stable? How are you happy? Like how are these type of things? And like, that's what I attribute it to. It's just like, I've been to so much therapy through the years. Like it's, it's literally like my parents somehow taught me that, you know, you don't know, (laughs) like you said, it's just like, you don't know what you don't know. And I like how people talk about when you get, when you start educating yourself, whether like through college or whatever, um, the, the more, the further you go on that sort of intellectual journey, the more you can conceptualize the things you don't know. So it's just like dumb people don't know they're dumb, but really smart people are just like, ah, there's so much I don't know, you know, because you can kind of grasp the bigger picture. If you like go to eight years of um, law school, by the end of it, you're like, well, I'm, I've got a brain filled of of law, but I know nothing of science. Do you know what I mean? You can sort of conceptualize where your intelligence lies in the grander scheme. And that's what it is. It's just the further along I go, the more I I learn that I need to learn. 
Right. And that's been nice. And so having that basis for my parents for therapy, them being school teachers them being recovered alcoholics, I got very lucky that I had exposure to the right choices. So when I was going through like jail, I could then use that community of like, Hey, we're all suffering together and sort of find my path. Like my buddy, Kev, I became friends with him in Northampton. And within the first week or two, he was just like, Hey, come down to this step meeting. He's like, we're going to the step meeting down in the visiting room. And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, because one, I was like-minded with him too. I could tell that he was on a journey of self-discovery and self-forgiveness and self-awareness. And three, it was the right thing, you know? And it was, I was starting to be more comfortable within this community of jail where now I could form a smaller community of like-minded people, which ended me in, you know, that, that AA meeting, which I eventually actually met my sponsor for years and years. He was my sponsor in that meeting. And that's yeah. one of those little, like, sort of, again, like how the guy came up and handed me the paper. I used to talk about that at AA meetings all the time, like little God moments where there was no plan in my head. And I was sort of led in a direction, you know, somebody came and they, they talk about it in that. And I have my own feelings on religion that's like the separate thing or like spirituality but yeah. they say that like in, in the program is like your higher power will speak to you through others so like just pay attention and practice building a tool belt by like working with a sponsor so that you know when that happens when you like when somebody walks up to you and when steve messages me about a podcast he's doing like Oh, you know that guy's I, mean? cool. I have the tool belt <laughs> to say yes, because one, I can talk about it. I know yeah. I'm going to be sober and clear headed and level minded. And two, this is a moment where I didn't design it. You know, you came to me and presented positivity, mm. an outlet for that. So it's my duty to like get to a point where I can realize that and accept, you know? Yeah. I, I, so again, I feel like this conversation, it's just, we're getting deeper down the whole of, of everything. Yeah, I, no, no, yeah, it's yeah. cool. Like it, it's really uh, mind blowing. I, I really like that concept of little God moments um, because I do think, you know, that it's like, it's the yes brain. It's the beginner's mind. It's that, that concept of saying, okay. Um, like we were talking about before I need, I may be well-versed in some things, but I'm still a beginner in, in many yeah. different things. So I need to approach things having a beginner's mind so I can not let my ego get in the way of me continuing to learn or connect with people. And then in doing that, you create this yes mentality that you referenced earlier in an appropriate way uh, about saying, okay, before I left fear and guilt and shame get in the way. And I would say no, but now I'm letting go of these things. And I can say, yes, say I would be interested in that. I can, I can have that ability to say yes. And through the cultivation of those things, you start to create this beautiful symmetry of intuition. And, and I don't know if you, maybe kismet, it's like too strong of a word, but this idea of if I'm open to things, things are going to present themselves to me. Yes. When I'm I closed, I'm not going to see shit. Yeah. Oh, I a hundred percent agree with that. And that's like, it's, um, and it's, it's practice. It's like how we've talked about it. It's like seeing it's attachment. It's attachment yeah. to the negative and, um, and opening up the, the door for the possibilities of the positive. And well, it makes me think of like that sort of mentality. Cause it's like, it's hard to like, you're, cause you're right. It's like, in the beginning especially so like coming in early sobriety 
it's hard to delineate the right choices, you know? So it, it takes more of a guide. I think it's one of those things like in a lot of recovery programs that like the whole beginning, like beginner, um, like sort of focus is more on community. It's so apparent. Like when we're talking about it, I think it's hard to, to figure that out because you know, I, I can imagine coming into the, that community, you're like, man, that's a shitload of stuff yeah, I have to like do. It's, it's putting a lot on me. But I, I, I like that. And also looking at the, the way brains change in the neuroplasticity of the brains, yes. one of the biggest things we see with repatterning those or, or shifting the connections, the neural pathways is repetition and emotion. Those are two key important, important I guess key important things is redundant, but uh, <laughs> two things that are, are needed to, to shift and engage in neuroplasticity of the brain and repetition so important and, you know, adding a, a positive, uh, not positive, but generative emotion in the sense of, hey, I'm going to repeat doing this, these things and here's the payoff. This is why I'm going to repeat yeah. doing these things. When you don't have that, you do two weeks of something you're like, Oh, this is bullshit. I'm not getting a, a dopamine rush or a reward from this. So I'm going to go find it somewhere else. Yeah. And that's the other thing is like one of like, if you're able to capture sort of those feelings of like peace and happiness within there's no negative side effect. And that's one of those things where like, I like how, and that's why I like talking to people like who are well-versed or like who just are on their own journey, because I like the combination of the, I like when spiritually spirituality and science mix scientifically proven that happiness lends itself to a longer lifespan. Right. It's like you have better health when you're happy. Um, you have better health when you create connections with people like they it's statistically proven at this point. Um, so like when you see those things happening, like tangible ways, scientifically, like it makes more sense to have sort of on the psychology, like psychological, psychological, spiritual side of things like the pseudosciences yeah. to like promote those things too where you're like you know meditate and get together with yeah. people just be around people like you'll feel better and those types of things and once you create that pattern where even if it has to be habitual at first um of seeing things through a positive light it becomes this weird thing as like when AA talks about it like those god moments where those moments weren't hap not happening prior you know but I've trained myself or whatever, or whatever it is to see them. So now that I'm no different, my life's no different, the world, I mean, it's very different, but my interaction with it completely changes once I have that sort of framing. And when I practice it, when I like yeah. think about every day, the things I'm grateful for and not the things I don't have. And that's how I used to live. I used to live every day thinking about Thank the three you. things I wanted that were possible to achieve. Right. And now I can go home through practice through like learning them. And I remember there was this woman, Margie, who taught one of the um, counseling sessions in Northampton jail. She used to every, um, every day that we'd have class with her Monday through Friday, she'd start with 10 minutes of silent meditation immediately followed by a 10, 10 point gratitude list. And it's how she started every class. And it was one of those things is like, you don't think, and it, it became apparent quickly, like within the second, third week, I was just like, I'm thinking about the things I'm grateful for way more often. And it might not be every day, like every day I would write the list, but it wouldn't be like I felt it every day. But those days where I was writing it and then I got to something, I was just like, God, like, I'm really glad, like, 
grateful it's sunny today. Like yeah. I can feel that. And I didn't think about it. I didn't put it in the words. And normally like I might've prior, like been grateful it was sunny, but I didn't think about it. So later when I spilled my coffee, I was just pissed. I didn't have a coffee <laughs> exactly. instead of being happy. That was a sunny day. And it's, eh, I just dropped my coffee, but it's still yeah. a nice day out. You know, I, I mean, I think, I was, as, as you were talking, I was soaking that in, but I was also thinking about that relationship of where science and spirituality meet and that's magic. Like, oh, it is. Yeah. Fan- yeah. Fantasy it's wise, magic. that's magic. Right. But, magic, but yes. more, more importantly, and honestly, it's magic when you do that, when you meditate and there's science behind it, but there's also spirituality or, you know, everything you're talking about is that rote, oh, this is, why do I have to write about gratitude every day? Well, scientifically, if you yeah. can put yourself in a place of gratitude, you biohack your nervous system and you go to that top level of calmness and connection, right? And that's and, it. And then you're receptive. You know yeah. what I mean? You get out of your own way and then these opportunities come into your path. Yeah. And you can exactly. notice them. You're that's not it. all it's fucking bu- magic. Bubbled up. Yeah. It's wild, magic. man. I love it. And that's like even like in I've been have had talks about like, and that's a, a very good example is meditation. Um because meditation has this mysticism around it, yeah. but I've broken it down like very pragmatically to people recently and then just been like, and I like have that type of mind. Like I said, like earlier, like about breaking down sort of the program of AA, mm-hmm. I can see like the pragmatic tricks, you know what I mean? Like, I can yeah. be like, yeah, well, if you make an amends list of everybody you've ever wronged and then go through and do like an eighth step and then in the ninth step, go forward and make all those apologies you're going to come out with a clear conscience. Like there's no way not to. Yeah. And meditation is a great example because I feel like people think of it and it's magical. I, I love, that's one of been my, one of my savings, like that and working out physical yeah. fitness during this pandemic era has just been. I'm you and I are great. like with this meditation. Oh, yeah, man. This, this um, whole COVID stuff has been all about meditation and kettlebells for me. And that's it. It's just awesome. it's like, because it's those, those three fold thing. It's like, I don't have as much access to like mental stimulus and social stimulus. So I got to work on the body and the spirit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I can't go talk to a person. I can't talk to a, a expert in any area face to face, you know, yeah. or whatever it is. Or like, like go to a class and learn something new or go to the library and take out a bunch of books. So it's just like sort of, it's an isolated form of trying to take care of myself, understanding. And that's been a weird battle in terms of like how we've been talking about isolation. That's where I gravitate to in my disease. And in this time of isolation, it's like pushing back at that while also having to keep in mind that there's actually like reason to isolate right now. So it's a weird thing, but real quick about, sort of about meditation um i was talking to somebody and i was like the way you talk and hear about meditation is like it like when you get good at it it's like you're floating in nothingness or like you don't exist you're employed i'm like and it's like it it at at its best it can feel like that yeah but i was just like when you think about just what's happening like most guided meditations open with a bunch of deep breaths which you Mm -hmm. don't do I was like, I was the person I was talking about. I was like, you don't do that often. I was like, so you're fully oxygen, like you're putting oxygen in your blood and your brain. Right. Um, and then you go through a body scan thinking about specifically about your, your muscles and relaxing them in thought, which you never do. 
like at right. any point during your everyday life. Then you go through and you focus on your breathing, which stops that chain of thoughts that we're always trapped in. Every thought leads to another one and we never break that cycle. Right. So then focusing on your breathing for five minutes gets rid of that. And you end up coming in the sort of refresh. And it's all very like scientific. You're just like, yeah, yeah like if you breathe it, like when you get more oxygen, you tend to like scientifically feel a little more elated. You feel calmer. Like it releases the... Um, I was reading the study on like when you take in, when you exhale longer, like you take in short yeah. inhales and then like extend the exhale, it secretes the, uh, the acid that basically diminishes flight or fight. Yeah. So it's just like, you like are it, able to sort of control your nervous. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 So what, so the inhale is, is excitatory. It's mostly connected to that. And the exhale longer exhales will be more relaxing because it stimulates the vagal nerve, which is the nerve in your brain that touches all your organs pretty much. And so breath control is really good for that because it it gets you to a place of calmness. So you, so there's three levels of the nervous, the autonomic nervous system. A lot of people think there's two and it's because there's parasympathetic and sympathetic, but parasympathetic is actually two so there's one high hierarchy of it. The top part of calmness and connection is parasympathetic, rest and relaxation and connection. But that's called ventral vagal. It's the top part of the vagal nerve affects that. Then there's sympathetic, which is fight or flight or excitatory. And then there's parasympathetic dorsal vagal, which is the back part of the vagal nerve. And that's freezing, depression, kind of feeling overwhelmed yeah. and shutting down. And so, yeah, what you're talking about is 100%. When you think about it, uh, guys who lift heavy, they don't slowly breathe in and out. They they kind of pump themselves up by f- breathing in really fast to get more energy. They're not they're not slowly breathing out. Or if you're going for a run and you're trying to calm your breath, it's the exhale that's the most important part because you're you're getting that that regulation. So yeah, sorry, I, I get really excited about vagal nerves. No, it's, so I I love it, man. Like this is like one of those moments where it's just like you're the expert on this. Like you know, like I and I. I I just appreciate that because yeah. um, like it's a, just um, it's proof of practice. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you know, like specifically, like I know the generalized, like in my explanation of like to my friend of meditation being like, this is the science behind it. It'll calm you down. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, <laughs> no, it's, but nice it's true. It's, you break it's it down like how, in a way that um, it's digestible, you know? Yeah, for sure. It's like, you've seen those videos of on the internet of like somebody explaining to somebody at different understanding levels, like, I'll explain rhythm to a, a fifth grader. And then, you know, like uh, uh, somebody who just graduated high school, somebody in music school, and then a professional musician. And it's like yeah. a different level. Like, it's like, so it's like nice we're on the spectrum, but I'm just talking to the middle school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's good. Yeah, you, you got, you've got the, the college terms, but it's nice to hear that too, like sort of confirm. Yeah, but I mean, that's it's it. Awesome. It's just like that combination of like this spiritual peace, Buddhist, Zen idea of meditation when you're just like yeah but logically scientifically this is why it does that you know what i mean this is why you get that at peace feeling it's because like you're calming yourself down you know what i mean like it's and you're ox you're oxygen oxygenizing your blood and all those things like it just it makes too much sense sometimes my favorite favorite thing is uh i wear like a, a heartbeat monitor monitor and it tracks like my progress when I meditate, even if it's for 10, 15, 20 minutes. And my favorite thing is to see where my heartbeat is when I start 
and then see where the average averages out as I'm meditating. And so I had a panic attack at four in the morning one time. And I was like, you know what? I can't sleep. Let me monitor this stuff. And I did. And my, my heartbeat was like 120 at the start. And then through 30, 40 minutes of meditating, my average heartbeat was 52. It was so oh crazy to see the drop God. of that. And, and I That's did, why, how I did long it, did you say were you like 30, 40 minutes, but I, I did a 10 minute meditation where my heartbeat would as, as 75 and then two minutes. And it took a while. Cause it was, it wasn't the best, but it still had the benefit of, of the meditation in seven minutes after the first two minutes, seven, eight minutes, my heartbeat dropped down to 47 as an Jeez. average. It's That's so insane. crazy. It's how, so it's how, wonderful how awesome and beneficial it is. Oh yeah. And just like how that, that mind body connection, how it works, you know what I mean? Like it's, 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 so it's insane. So James, uh, I feel like we could talk for hours. We don't have oh, that yeah. time. <laughs> so I, so, so I have a real quick request before we, we go. Yeah, though. sure. Yeah. Um, I, cause I was thinking about this earlier. Well, I got a couple of questions we... anyway. So we got a couple, couple more. Okay, questions. cool. I was going to request, could this be officially part one? Yeah. And can Hell we yeah, plan dude. to have a second discussion just because I'm interested in the difference um, post-pandemic? Oh, yeah. Can we have like, you know what I mean? Like, right a, yeah. Just how we've been talking about that. Like you and I specifically were on that same sort of wavelength pandemic era where we're meditating a lot, doing like, yeah. calisthenics. Like I've just dived completely all my workouts are calisthenics. I oh, you know, way I more that. appreciate it. <laughs> That's your thing. And I love it. And I didn't get it till now. Like I really didn't. It like, it was one of those sort of like proof of practice type things where I started earlier on the pandemic working out purely for feeling. I just Mm -hmm. wanted to not be anxious and depressed. And I knew that I was health wise and going to be less mobile having to like isolate some. So, and then my body became just what I always wanted it to look like. And on top of those benefits, but I was like doing it for the first time in my life for the right reasons. It was yeah. very like surreal, you it's, know, like having awesome working for 15 years working out and being like, I want to look a certain way and I want to be aesthetically pleasing and like I want to get girls or whatever yeah. and just be like, hey, I want to be healthy and I want my spirit and mind to feel good. So I'm going to yeah. work out. And then within months, I'm like, oh, well, there's my ideal body. Weird. You know, I think, I think there's a beauty to that with yoga and, and any body weight stuff is that you can do it with weightlifting too. But I think one of the be- beautiful things about it is you can feel when your form's off without the fear of dropping a shit ton of weight yes. on you. Right. And so you can yeah. micro adjust as you're doing it. Like, okay, that, that felt a little weird. Let me try to go. Okay. That that's where I need to be. That's where my, my gaze needs to be when I'm doing pushups. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm coming up on my right. So it's a little bit stronger. So let me, when I'm doing pull-ups, let me go to the left a little bit and build that up a little bit and you can play around with it. And I think it's, it's just a beautiful connection. That's why I don't listen to music or anything when I exercise is because I like being, I call it sobriety from distraction. Another term for like mindfulness. It. I like it. Um, I'm so going to try that. I'm going to try that this week. Cause I always listen to music, but yeah. you know, podcast is fun too. So if you're, if you listen to this podcast while you're working out keep doing that keep doing it pump those irons but so real quick on that though on the calisthenics switch yeah that's like was one of those like sort of like revelation moments where i realized that i was working out based on other standards meaning when i was like 
and at UMass lifting heavy weight, it was like this idea that I was trying to get my body to a point that I couldn't conceptualize through only other people. Meaning I'd look at a, a huge Jack dude or have like a picture of Captain America. I right. say that because the shield on my wall <laughs> and I'd be like, I want to look like that and I'm going to lift. And then I'm constantly making adjustments. I have to go up and wait. Blah, blah, blah. But without ever considering what does my body look like at its ideal. Right. And I wasn't able to really con- like figure that out until doing body weight exercises, doing these exercises that were just causing my body to work the way it should. And then it just formed into like the right shape and it's better than I could have. I'm not as bulky than I Mm -hmm. thought I would be. And like when I wanted to be Jack, you know, like my perfect body, I was like bigger and like whatever, but then functional, you know? Yeah. Once my body became functional and then tuning that it's way more what I want to look like than I ever thought I could have, you know? And it's weird. I used to I, say I couldn't get abs because I like have a lot of extra skin because I was obese. Yeah, and I have abs now, and it's just because. Me again, too, man. <laughs> it's my weird. favorite thing. It's weird. It's, it's like I'll never wow. have it, and they're not like the 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 models abs. No, they're, they're like they're functional. not ridiculous. Exactly. It's like farmer abs. That's I exactly. Like you got like almost like those cuts like on the side. <laughs> old school farmers, right? Like, oh, yeah. that's functional. I don't need each ab to pop. I I just like no. that, that box, and I feel you know obviously exactly that's exactly it though that's how yep i hear you um so i just want to see your abs yeah cheers i got some tea left i think in here i got coffee over here and happy it's good um so just two quick questions what superpower would you have if you could have any superpower channeling ian on on this last couple questions and then what do you think your superpower is besides that glorious beard you got there (laughs) i appreciate it um, I'm going to rob somebody of their answer. I don't know. I think it was a celebrity. I think it was a corny answer. I don't think it was a genuine one, but when they said it, I was like, that's like, God, I was like, there's no, and it's just, I would, if I could, it'd be the, like a healer. It'd be some sort of healer. I think just where I'm at in my journey, like most of the, like most of the superpowers can be like used for good. And that's like where I want to be. Like, I'm like, I'm not the villain. Like I never wanted to be the villain. I should say I've always wanted to be on the good side of things moving forward. Mm-hmm. Like that was my whole struggle with like the accident and stuff. Um, and again, like I, as knowing me, I don't trust myself with a whole lot of power at this point. Like, I just don't know. Like, I don't know if flying would be great for me. I'm like, <laughs> it's not my, it's not my Dharma. <laughs> but, um, I think that's sort of like the most beneficial and practical, I think of the superpowers because like you can help people running fast and all those types of things, but just being like the ability to heal others would just be insanity. Yeah. I mean, like in this world, like if we're talking about like all superheroes exist, like I probably wouldn't want to be the healer in the crew. Like I would want to be the (laughs) tank, you know, but like, but like if I had, if it was just me and I was the only one, I'd be like, yeah, I'll just go to hospital. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. You make me feel kind of bad about my hack to have all the superpowers uh, oh. controlling pro- probability. So if I'm in a world where superpowers exist and I can control probability, that means I could have Ooh. whatever superpower I wanted. That's really good. Yeah. I was going to say the most recent, because I wasn't, you're, you know, more, way more about comics than me. I know mm-hmm. like a little bit. I'm a, I'm a 
armchair comic book guy. <laughs> nice. um, I didn't know much about Domino before the Deadpool two. Yeah, and since seeing her, like of the of the superheroes that exist that I've seen, that would be one of them. Her superpower to controlling like, luck, just have luck all yeah. the time is amazing. It's pretty amazing. It's like it's just like the way it like played out. It's just like I don't know because then you could do like you could live a normal life too. You could not be a superhero and just have yeah. everything just go your way all the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah. Um, all right. So, what would you say your superpower is? God, I don't know. I feel like any answer is egotistical here. Um, I would say I think it's because we talked about it early on. Um, I would, I would like to say my superpower, and it and it, it comes from my origin story, and it's how I started off. Because um, both my parents, my grandfather, three of my uncles, and two of my aunts, a couple of cousins, they're all teachers. Um, so I would say if my superpower is the ability and the desire to constantly keep learning. Dude. So I, my brother and sister interviewed me on one of the podcasts. I can't remember what number they were the hosts and I was the guest and uh, having a beginner's mind and always learning was, was my superpower too. So kindred spirits, crazy, (laughs) crazy. It's wonderful. All right. So any last gems of knowledge you want to drop on our listeners, just a parting gift, so to speak. Um, yeah, sure. Why not? I've been talking the whole time, <laughs> you know, um, listeners, thank you for listening. Um, I hope that you were able to say, I hope that anybody, people were able to take whatever it is, even if you're like, this guy talks too much. I want to hear the same story from somebody who talks less and then i'll guide you in the right way i know people but um my like advice my parting advice to people is it's a little topical but um it's be kind to yourself you know i think that's i was lucky enough to have parents that put a lot of love in my house in my life and um taught me that early is like um just to be kind to yourself forgive yourself and to realize that specifically and i don't want to touch on it too much be just because you know times are changing and that's the whole nature of everything but especially in 2020 you know like in the times we're at now where we're a little more distant um you're gonna be you're gonna be all right like everybody's everybody's feeling this right now and um if you can wake up and just do one nice thing for yourself every day that's positive you know what i mean like um just take it easy just don't worry too much don't don't get lost in that chasing the dream of your neighbors you know keeping up with the joneses whatever it is you know just be easy on yourself because it's a journey and we're all messing up we're all messing up every day (laughs) that's awesome man well james is honored to have you on uh oh it was an honor thank you so much for asking me honestly i have so much gratitude for you coming on and having this I, i had a really good time and talking about some heavy stuff but also you know, putting stuff out there. So I appreciate you. I appreciate you too, man. And just in time for Thanksgiving, like this has filled my heart with a lot of gratitude, honestly. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be on the podcast, please outreach to us at info at the Promethean project.org. If you want to learn more about the Promethean project, or if you would like to donate to our cause, 
you can reach us at thepermetheumproject.org. If you really do enjoy this podcast, please share with your friends, like our posts on social media and Instagram and on Facebook, and please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or any podcast app that you like to listen to. Again, thank you for taking a listen. And remember that the most important step is always the next one.